sin and darkness Whose love is mighty and so much stronger The King of glory, the King above all kings Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder And leaves us breathless in awe and wonder The King of glory, the King above all kings This is amazing Yes. 
book of Ephesians. Uh, if you have a Bible, the, the Red P Bible is in front of you, it's page 1157. We are doing the entire third chapter this morning. Um, as you're turning there, the question I have that Paul is exploring this morning, it is this. What is the most expensive or valuable thing or interesting thing, right, that you have been entrusted with in your life? It can be, you know, just think wherever that might have been. Just recently, this is a true story. Sometimes pastors make up stories. This one's real. Um, I don't know how, a couple months ago, our neighbor, um, she asked us to watch her cat as she was out of town. I was like, sure, that's fine. And so, you know, we got the keys. We go in. I check the cat. And the cat thinks I'm her initially. So I walk in the house, and it sees me. And it's just like, who in the world is this? So then it runs and hides, of course, right? And so I feed it, you know, and I'm being so careful. I'm trying to get the food and make sure the door is shut quick so the cat doesn't run out and everything. And I, I was like, all right, good job. Day one completed. Wake up the next day. It's a dead cat laying in the street. This is just a true story. And so I'm walking out, I have a cup of coffee, have a sunroom. We live kind of on a busier street. And I just see the cat. I'm just like, you know, the, you, know the, you know the initial feeling of just like dread that comes in this kind of moments? Where I was just like, oh, oh no, oh no. But I was like, no way, that's not it. I did a good job. I was like, the door was shut. She didn't run out. And I was like, there's, there's no way. And I was just this fighting dread because I know I did a good job. It turns out it was not the cat. But it was hilarious of just the timing because I've never seen a cat on our street before. And it was just like that whole like first 30, 40 minutes of my day was just like, I, I can't believe this. I killed her cat. But I didn't. But the whole idea was I was entrusted to care for this cat, Right? I don't have a cat. We have enough children and no room for cats in our house. But I was called on to value my neighbor's cat because she's a, a, she's a widow. She doesn't have, you know, family in her home. So it's really, this is crucial for her. It's like her, her closest mate in her life right now. And she treasures this cat. And I knew that. And so I was entrusted with something extraordinarily precious to her. And therefore, I needed to treat that like so, right? When you are given something for someone else to care for in their stead, something valuable and something meaningful, right? And you are given a, ter- a caretaker of, they are inviting you to say, care for this as much as I care for it, right? That's what's happening. Like, this is valuable to me. I'm asking you to value it just as much as I value it as I am away and as I am gone, right? If you want to take such a job seriously, Okay, hopefully you value that person enough to say, great, yeah, I will take care of that. And some, if you're not a cat person, for example, and you're called on to care for somebody's cat, you're going to have to, you know, like we're going out of town this week, and a great example of this, my children have pet rats. I know. Somebody told me that whoever's the pet store guy who sold you that, give him a raise, right? Um, yeah, I had a hard time finding somebody to care for the rats. I don't know why, right? But... You have to kind of maybe learn to value the thing that you're asked to care for, okay? Because sometimes on the surface, you're like, I don't know why this is important. They're rats. Like, what? Right? Why is that important? Well, it's important to my kids or pets, et cetera, and so forth. You have to learn to value those things if you're asked to care for something. So Paul is working through this in chapter 3 today about our stewardship of the gospel itself. 
In the NIV, it uses the word administration. If you have another translation, it probably says something like steward, right? And um, the question before us is this, is God has entrusted us with the gospel to administrate it, right? To be good stewards of the mystery of the gospel. We'll talk about what the gospel is this morning. Um, And we're going to ask questions like, what does it mean to be a good steward of this, right? What does it mean to be a good steward of it? What is the gospel message itself, and what do we learn of God through it, and how, what is the path to value the good news as much as God values the good news? And Paul tackles all these things this morning. Keep in mind, Paul is writing this portion directly after talking last week um, about the, the walls of hostility being torn down, all right? The mystery that was hidden in previous ages was at least not as clear as it was when Jesus showed up, that in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, whomever is on this earth, regardless of social class or race, has a place in Christ by faith to receive salvation and is given a chair at his banquet hall, right? We are given a um, uh, citizenship in his kingdom. We are given membership of his family. Whomever you are, you are invited, and it is for you. And that was a mystery that was hidden in ages past. That right now, Jesus is redeeming, he is renewing, and he is rebuilding humanity through the work and power of his spirit, uniting those with faith, those who turn from their sins to uh, entrust their own lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their King. And God said, great, now that you're part of the family, you are entrusted with this good news. It's a weighty message. It's the best news that humanity has ever had. And God looks at you and says, I want you to be the caretaker of this good news. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, So let's start here in uh, in chapter 3, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, and let's read this together, and then we'll pray. We'll read just the first six verses. For this reason, as I just mentioned, that reason we just talked about, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That's the word that kind of means the stewardship. He was called on me to administrate this, this, uh, the grace that was given to me. That is, verse 3, to define it, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I had already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Great. Let me pray. Jesus, um, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for all that you have given us in this, Jesus. And we ask that you would um, be with us today, Lord. May your, your scriptures, they are, they are alive. They are um, uh, inspired by you, Lord, and they are powerful. And we pray that they would do their work this morning. So Jesus, give us a soft heart to receive the word that you have. Give us open ears to listen this morning. And Lord, give us eyes to see you, Lord. 
whatever burdens or, or heaviness or weightiness that anybody has brought into this room today, I pray that it have been, that, that, that even through our time of worship and prayer, that it has been cast on to you. And Lord, through this uh, portion of your holy scriptures, Lord, that we would be um, just ushered into your presence. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is Paul, and he says in verse 1, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's in jail. Paul's a prisoner. He's in jail, arrested for the work of the gospel. We said the word administration is referring to him being a steward, right? They've heard of Paul that was entrusted with this, and it put him in jail, actually, through his work for Jesus. He says, you know, his insight is, is peculiar to him and to the apostles. Like, they are a generation in, in all of biblical history. This is a big old book, right? Covers thousands of years. Paul's generation and just the other, you know, 11 or 12 or so men that were uh, with Christ and labeled as the apostles, and also he includes the prophets, that is, the other heralds of the truth in the early church here. It was that generation that received that, that, uh, that revelation that, whoa, like your work in the world is not just in this nation of Israel, not just for the Jewish people. There's something for all of humankind here. Like this is a message when Jesus showed up that he is going to bring that blessing to this entire globe. Everyone now is invited into salvation. Right? And it was very clear, and Paul was commissioned to go and to spread that good news together that they, all humanity, has the opportunity to be members together of one body. It's funny because Paul actually, he makes up words here. Well, I think it's kind of cool. I, you know, I like to make up words too. I'm in Georgia, that's what we do. And um, if, as long as words communicate, though, like they're a word. It's a word, right? I don't know. So he makes up some words here. Is that God? Is that thunder? What just happened? Jeez. Um, the, uh, uh, Jew and Gentile in Christ, members together of one body, that they're sharing together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And this is a word he made up that they're companions together, right? They're actually uh, not just sitting, you know, in a room like, oh, hi. Like, they're actually companions in life, in Christ, living their lives, sharing their lives with one another, Right? And so this was a mystery. It was not extremely clear in the Old Testament. And I want to say, like, it's still kind of a mystery if you think about it, this kind of work that we're talking about. Um, there's no single person that, that alive right now that could walk on any continent in this world, right, and somehow uh, uh, have some, some message or some work that he has done to begin unifying all peoples of all races and languages together to become one body, right? That, that sounds like well, nobody could do that, right? There's so many div uh, uh, barriers or division lined up in this world. Like, how can those things get torn down? Well, as we saw last week, only in Christ that can happen because the universal problem of sin and the universal problem of death that we all share as human beings have been dealt with in Christ. And therefore, wherever you are in this world, we can bring the gospel and people can receive salvation and forgiveness from their sins. It is an amazing thing that Jesus, that, that as a reality in Christ. And Paul said, actually, it wouldn't even be uh, believable if it wasn't revealed to him. Right? That's that word apocalypse we talked about. That's what all that word means. Not so much end times and end of the world. Like apocalypse just means like, poof, revealed. Something was covered up and now it's revealed. Like this was covered up and now it's revealed. 
And it was the work of God to actually reveal it because it's so spectacular. And this is part of the gospel that we're referring to this morning. And so as he says this, he goes into verse 7. He gets a little more kind of personal here. He says, I, Paul, in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration, right, or the stewardship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. To really get what Paul just said here, we got to kind of do a little bit of storytelling, okay, because if you're growing up in the church, you're kind of new, maybe, you know, you're not familiar with Paul's story. Let me tell you Paul's story or remind you of Paul's story. Now, for thousands of years, okay, we talked about this a little last week, God's people, the Jews in Israel, have been known by God. You can read their story in the First Testament. Um, Yahweh, God, he was theirs. Yahweh had not yet revealed himself to all of the nations. And even if, 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 if somebody who was not Jewish wanted to know Yahweh, God, they would have to come and join Israel and kind of become, uh, you know, a part of that nation and join into their customs and their way of life. It was a lo- very much a location where, quote-unquote, God was found, okay? Uh, it, it was hard to imagine you know, uh, if you're a, a, a nation that's had uh, God is yours for, at this point, almost thousands of years, okay, the Roman Empire then shows up, and they conquer the world, okay, and Israel is underneath their heavy thumb, okay, and they're kind of getting pushed down here, and this story of their God belonging to them was, was very, very meaningful, and even more so probably important, because they were hoping that he would come and rescue them. It's like the Rome rules us. God, please release us and liberate us, right? Um, and and taking into account as well that throughout the, the first testament we call the Old Testament, Israel had always struggled with having God as their only God. They were kind of always picking and grabbing and choosing other foreign entities that, are, that surrounded their nation and kind of throwing them in the middle of also their worship with God, which, surprise, surprise, usually this false worship included lots of uh, sensual things or things that were, you know, very deeply just kind of depraved and quote-unquote fun in the eyes of the world, and they labeled it as worship, and they grabbed it and tried, you know, it's what humans do, right? And so Israel slipped into uh, sin deeper and deeper in this false worship, and that was kind of always their struggle, was just having God as their only God, and they were exiled from the land and received lots of, you know, uh, uh, judgment from God because of this sin, and so having that psyche and having the Romans in Paul's day being so heavily pressed down on the, the nation of Israel at that time, suddenly out of nowhere, okay, you have this man come and he's preaching, gathers some crowds, and then the Romans end up killing him and, you know, the story of Jesus, and um, he's dead. And whatever happened, people are like, well, I don't know, that was, that was weird, but he's dead, so it doesn't matter anymore. And then suddenly you have some Jewish people pop up in Jerusalem saying, no, he's still alive, he's back from the dead, And then people believe it, and they're getting baptized and gathering, and this movement of Jesus' followers is is popping up everywhere. And then this guy named Saul, who is a Pharisee, okay, living in this time, uh, he hears about this. It's like, oh man, some of these Jewish people, they're worshiping 
a guy. It's just, oh, this is like what happened back in the Old Testament, right? They got, they've led astray again. They're, they, they, they're following this false teaching about who this guy was. He's dead. He's not back alive. And we've got to do something. It's not a time to get distracted, right? And so Saul, what he does, um, being a Pharisee, which means he was a religious leader, he's a young guy. He's crazy zealous. He's also very brilliant, right? He's a scholar, and he has all this kind of accolades behind him. He says, let's go stamp out this little movement of Christians, they're calling themselves, because we can't afford as Jewish people now to be distracted. Let's, let's go and squash these guys out. And so Paul, this very youthful and zealous guy, goes and starts, you know, dragging Christians out of their homes and throwing them in jail to stand trial before the Jewish high priest. He actually stands and watches one of them, a guy named Stephen, a Christian, get stoned to death for his faith. And he stands there like kind of nodding and shaking his head. And he's, you know, ripping families out of their home and throwing him in jail for being Christians. All right. So nice guy. You want that guy over for dinner? Would you even want him watching your cat if you're on vacation? I wouldn't think so. This isn't the kind of guy that you want to like be buddy-buddy with. It's like, oh, cool, yeah, let's, let's give him something that I, you know, it's important to me to entrust. No, he's not a guy you want to hang out with, all right? He's not that kind of guy. But God sees people differently than you and I. And this is what we're going to see. And he, this is what, you know, the beauty of the gospel here. We see a guy like Saul, and we hear that, and we're like, uh-uh, nope, not in my, he's not in my life. I'm going to put him over here. I would never entrust anything to him. And God looks down, and he, see, he sees a guy like that, and he says, I want him. I want to use him for my purposes. That guy, yeah, I want him. So in Acts 9, Paul, or his name is Saul at this time, he's on the way to Syria, to Damascus, because he hears of Christians way over there. And he wants in his zeal go and drag them out of Damascus and Syria, all the way back to Jerusalem to stay in trial. So he, he's going at it, and he's on the way. You can kind of understand why he's so intense. He's trying to preserve his nation's worship of God, and he's convinced that this is just a massive distraction, and that God might actually judge his people for getting distracted by this Jesus guy. So you can kind of understand his zeal. It's a little intense, and perhaps a little overboard, but you can kind of understand where he's coming from here. But he's on the way to Damascus, and if you know this story, this is when Jesus shows up to him. Like, he actually sees Jesus. And he's like, Paul, what? Saul. He's like, Saul, what are you doing? This is my work, and you're kicking against my work. What are you doing? And so, long story short, when Paul reaches, uh, when Saul reaches Damascus, He's preaching Jesus, and he gets baptized. And people are like, you came here to arrest me, and now you're preaching Jesus as if you're one of us? I would be a little skeptical, right? And people had to kind of learn to trust him. And then he even put himself in harm's way for Christ. And they're like, oh, like this guy, he really did see Jesus. God chose him. Like he revealed himself to a guy like that. And he said, I entrust you, Paul, with a message to go you fanatical, zealous Jewish man, this Pharisee who was like, no Gentiles, icky, icky. He's like, no, 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 I want you to bring the gospel to those people. Like, this was such a massive deal for Paul. And he, later we know him as Paul, right? He, 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 he uses Greek name. He, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. This is such a massive life. I mean, absolutely life change 
for him. It makes no sense. If you want to apologize for the faith, there's no way. Like, this guy was real in history. People don't argue that, you know, Paul didn't exist. Like, he really did exist. There was nothing in him for him to become a Christian. He had everything to lose, right? But Jesus wanted to use him. And so he grabs him. Now, knowing that story, okay, the guy who was arresting Christians, nodding in approval, seeing a Christian get stoned to death. Let's reread his words in verse 8. You can imagine Paul writing this, thinking of Stephen getting stoned, thinking of those men and women that he just, he drug out of their homes, maybe even separated families, and who knows what, right? Just, you can imagine him writing these next few words with these old memories kind of stirring in his mind a little bit. He says in verse 8, Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Really kind of changes those verses a little bit when you hear his story, right? This is a big deal, right? And Paul knew who he was. And he's like, God still used me though. The unlikeliest of people. And here's, just pause here. The unlikeliest of people, God wants them, and he wants to use them, and the gospel is for them. I want you to close your eyes and and imagine the most unlikely person that you would ever have as close to you or in your family. To think like, no, that person would not be invited to my family Thanksgivings, okay? Like, think about who that person is, okay? And this is how God thinks about things, apparently in Scripture, because you see this kind of thing over and over and over, the most unlikeliest of people. God says, I'm going to bring that person to my table. That person, yeah. I want, I want, I want her at my table. You, you see so many stories here. I, I, I want to read, uh, I, I'm trying to get you guys to see from God's perspective here in terms of who he entrusts with the message of the gospel. Um, I, I want to I read this another way when Paul said this in, in 1 Corinthians 15 when he was recounting this story again. He said this. He said, 1 Corinthians verse eight, fifteen, verse 8, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles. I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, beautiful words here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. That's what he says. Now, why would he choose a guy like Paul? Let's continue on. We'll talk about that more in verse 10. Paul goes on. He says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I'll give you a little side note here, a little rabbit trail for like five seconds. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I just want you to really embrace what he's saying. Like when we share the good news of Jesus here and we do ministry here among us, we see things we can touch and and look at and grab hold on to and other people we can talk to and look eye to eye with. But Paul is saying the, the work of ministry, the work of Christians on this earth somehow is affecting 
is also a message to those in the other realms, in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realms. In other words, the work of the church on earth has cosmic implications that we don't see. And we want to feel the weight of that to say, what? There's like, in the, the spiritual realm, there's implications for the church's work that we're doing now? It's like, yeah. As we're getting organized as a church, we're going to step forward into ministry here. I recognize there's cosmic implications for what we're doing, right? It's a crazy thought. So guys, this is no small deal what we're doing here as a church. This is a, it's a big deal. And this is why we take so much time to walk through scriptures. We need to understand these things. But let's go back to uh, uh, through the church. His intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So it wasn't just Paul that was entrusted with the good news. The church was entrusted with the good news. The church now is also the stewards of the gospel. And, and through this entrusting to you and I and to a guy like Paul, the wisdom of God is made known. The manifold wisdom of God. What wisdom of God? We talked about it. One part of that wisdom. The gospel's for all. Jew and Gentile, slave or free. Yes, even those who are murderers. Yes, for all who turn from their sin. That's the wisdom of God. Um, the wisdom of God is completely upside down from uh, any normal, quote-unquote, civilized nation, okay? From the times of Rome unto times of today, right? We love people, we love looking at people in power, Okay, or seeing people in power, or we think that those, that's kind of the goal is the money or the wealth or the seats of mass influence and those who have those places are the most important in society. Okay, and Christians, I, I've seen Christians, I, I'm guilty of this in my own life sometimes too. Like we see like a Christian, you know, a celebrity or something and they say something about Jesus and it's on TV or something, we're like, whoa, millions of people just heard that. That gives so much legitimacy to, the, to Christianity because so-and-so that was in such and such a movie just was in an interview and talked about Jesus. And yes, yeah, see, that's, that's proof that it's important, guys. Like, it's real. It's an apologetic. It's a defense that important people are also Christians. And if you, it, that's great. Like, I, I'm happy when anybody meets Jesus. That's completely, wonderfully amazing right? But God didn't show up to Caesar in his throne room. He showed up to a murderer and knocked him off his horse. Of all people to reveal himself to, to say, I'm going to use this person for my work, he shows up to that guy that none of you would want taking care of your cat in your house. Like God says, I'm going to use him. I'm going to show up to him. This is the upside down, upside down nature of things. Right? When Jesus was walking, he could have spent time with anybody, but he sees that woman at the well who was sleeping around with so many different people, and he sits with her, and he speaks with her, and then she meets Jesus and experiences salvation. That's who he sits with. People that society would say, no, that's, those aren't the people we want to spend time with. Those aren't the ones that we really value, and Jesus says, no, 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 those are the ones I'm going to build my church on. Those people. I think there's some, uh, uh, it should be encouragement a little bit here, because I feel like a very normal person, right? Thankfully, I haven't murdered anybody or anything, but I've done my share of stupidity in my life, and all of you as well, right? And none of us are, you know, presidents or world leaders or, you know, these super big important societal figures, and 
But the message here is God has entrusted you with this gospel, and you won't believe what he can do through you. Like, you probably don't even realize what he can do through little, what he can do through little old you sitting here. And that he actually scanned and he said, I want that person, I'm going to chase after them until they bend their knee. Like, he actually went after you. And you now have a seat at his table. And he has some way in some manner in which he desires to use you. And this is the wisdom of God. It's upside down. Listen to this longer passage of 1 Corinthians. It says this. He says, where's the wise one? This is Paul talking again. Where's the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since then the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand seats, and Greeks seek. Uh, Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And he con- continues on. He says, "The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men." In verse twenty-six, he says this: "For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise and worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and even despised in the world." Even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ, Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So if, if we have anything to boast in, Paul says in verse 31 here, he says, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Christian movement was built on a bunch of nobodies. A bunch of ragtag fishermen disciples who had no education. Um, uh, they were poor and didn't have anything, right? And they found themselves standing before the kings of the earth giving testimony to the gospel. And people were thinking, how, how, do, how do they speak like this? Like, what power? Like, where did this come from? And God said, they're saying, yeah, I'm using the foolish things of the world to shame the strong. It's an amazing thing. So church, I, I, I want to help to reprogram our thinking as Americans here that when we, when we think about who we would love to become Christians, that's fine if celebrities become Christian and a million people here interview, that's fine and dandy. You know, at the end of the day, though, uh, what we should care just as much is that homeless guy on the street or that drug addict Billy who's your neighbor down the street who causes ruckuses all the time, right, that really annoys you and that he gets saved, that he meets Jesus. That should be just as valuable to you as a celebrity on TV talking about Jesus because God loves Billy down the street who annoys you, right? He, he loves him, and he wants him to know his son Jesus. And he says, I've entrusted you, neighbor, to go and to be with that annoying guy that you don't want to be with and to love on him. Go cut his grass. Go bring him a meal. Go bring him cinnamon buns and tell him how much Jesus loves him, right? It's Thanksgiving coming up. Great excuse to cook cookies and bring them to your neighbors and say, howdy, neighbor. I'm next door. Get to know people and bring the gospel to you. These, this is a way in which God, uh, uh, he, he shames the strong, and, and his wisdom is shown that a bunch of nobodies are being brought to him, and those are the people whom he builds his church on. I hope you're encouraged by this, guys. I hope you, I hope you see the, 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 the vision here, right? And, and as he continues on, he enters into prayer mode, okay? He enters in, into prayer mode. We're going to, on the back end of our sermon here today, He says this, 
for this reason, for all the things we just talked about, okay, I kneel before the Father. It draws him to worship. It it draws him to worship for he actually gets on his knees and he says, this message is so important that I've, I've seen the magnitude of it and all I can do is kneel before God in recognition of his majesty and his holiness and his subversive plan to this world to unite all people in Christ through salvation, repentance, and I can only kneel before the Father. When is the last time that you have been in prayer or have read the gospel message and just were driven, absolutely just driven to your knees in awe to say, God, you you would use me? Like you have something for me? Little old me? You loved me? Your son died for me? When is the last time you were just overcome in awe and in worship? Just a couple weeks ago, uh, my uh, brother Rick uh, uh, Bennett, just after um, uh, a service, he just came and was like, right now I feel the presence of God, just, I feel it more than I have in a long time. And I was like, brother, bask in it, right? And he said, I want you to feel it too. I was like, yeah, I do too, right? Like, when's the last time it's happened to you, right? That you've asked God, like, Lord, like, let me see these things so clearly that I'm just absolutely humbled. And before I know it, I'm on my, my face before you because I'm so humbled. When's the last time that you have asked God for that kind of clarity and understanding into his gospel? This is Paul here. He's writing these things. He's probably had to stop and just kneel for a while. Just like get it out of his systems. Like praise you, Jesus, for all these wonderful things that you were doing in this world and through me who were persecuting your very people. You have something for me. Thank you, Jesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives it name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, and he's praying for the church here, right? That he may strengthen you with, the, with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Whew. He really pulled out his, uh, his poetry card there, right? He's like, let me try to, how, what words can I use to, to, to just paint the picture of the depth of the love of Christ? Right, it's almost like he ran out of words here, right? You should read these things, and like he said, they should strengthen you, right? Like this, this, this message, this entrusting God has, he has entrusted this to you through the church, like this should strengthen you to say, wow, like, okay, so God is with me. Like he can help me do something like this. He can help me live this Christian life. Yeah, be strengthened, church, is what Paul is saying. Be strengthened because the Holy Spirit is in you to give you the power to do the very things that he has called you to, get, to do. Verse 17, Christ is dwelling in your hearts through faith. And as we are rooted and established with his love, being those very little roots, my word to you this morning, church, is be encouraged. We are not many in this room, okay? We are a big building with not a lot of people filling it. But that's okay. Because on the outside, the world to say, what can a handful of people, like what, what kind of power is over there? And God is saying, you have no idea what I can do through few or whether by many. 
I have something for them. I've entrusted them with a message. Right? Guys, it, 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 he has something for us. Be strengthened, church. We may, we may appear small in the eyes of the city, but I pray every single day that he uses this little church to do big things for his kingdom as we roll forward into this next generation. Paul is praying that we may be strengthened with power through, his, through our, our inner being. Right, that the deepest parts within us is strengthened and filled with the Holy Spirit for the task at hand. And then the beautiful part here, he says, that as Christ dwells in our hearts richly as we're being established, that we may know how wide and long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. He's asking for them. And he says this in, in verse 19, he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God that surpasses knowledge. Once again, when's the last time you prayed that you may know the love of Christ? When has a prayer like that come off of your lips as of recent? Because this love, it surpasses knowledge, right? It means that you'll never be able to fully grasp that love because it's too big. It's too much. Like if you think you know Jesus loves you, guess what? I know you know it, but you, don't, you, don't underst- you still don't understand how much he loves you. And you never will. But the beauty of it is, you will spend the rest of your life exploring and learning more and seeing more of his love continually be revealed to you only to be shown that you still have more to explore of the love of Jesus to grasp and to understand just to only then find out, wow, he still loves me more than I ever possibly understood or maybe ever never will understand. But I still want to keep trying to understand because I love to see his love for me. I love to see the majesty of his divine love that he gave. He literally gave himself up for me. In that process of understanding the love of Christ, Paul says, you are being more and more filled with the very fullness of God. Whatever limitations that exist, I know we can't become God or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that through the Spirit, all of who God is as you continue to explore the love of Christ for you is shown through this gospel he's entrusted you with. You will continually find yourself more full and more full of himself and his love. And that will just start bleeding and spilling out onto all of those around you as you will be changed by it. You will not be left the same as you pursue knowledge, deeper knowledge of his love. It will alter the course of your life. As we close here, I want to um, call up our, our worship team. couple of, of questions for application. God has entrusted you with the mystery of the gospel. And I, I don't want to, this isn't by means of guilt or anything, but I think it's a question you have to ask. What are you doing with that message? Are you properly handling the work? Or are you kind of sitting on your hands with it? Right? Because uh, are you properly handling that Work is, is um, to entrust, uh, be entrust with something it should drive you to action. My question is, think through your life. How is that uh, uh, reality that God has given you the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection? It said, go and live this out and be a good steward of it that all nations may know me, including your neighbors. How is that driving you 
in your life right now, right? How is that driving you day by day and week by week? It should drive you to live a life of sacrifice, that you're not just learning Bible verses for the sake of learning Bible verses. You're not just memorizing or reading the Bible every day to say, well, that's nice. I'll just keep stuffing it inside of me, and that's great. And your life remains unaltered, and those around you, okay, they don't see the love of Christ through you. No, 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 no. As we explore scriptures and get to know him more and realize what he has entrusted us with, how is it shaping the way that you live? Number two, do you value that work as much as God does? He values that work so much that he literally sent his son to die in order to usher in salvation. And then he sent his own spirit to his people, right, to be sent out into this world. And I got to tell you, his, his value of that work, uh, we'll never know the extent of it. And he's asking you to share in that, How can you cultivate a love for things like evangelism, for things like living out the gospel to your family, like becoming that ambassador of Christ? Um, uh, How is your love for that call, right? Do you value that even in your own life? Because the Spirit wants to give you all the power necessary to go and to live this out. A couple more things is remembering Paul's conversion story, right? Remember Paul's conversion story. Um, Are you valuing the things that he is valuing? Have you allowed worldly influences, right, uh, uh, knowing that that, that God values the insignificant or values the the, the ones that you uh, would never want, uh, like a a murderer or like a guy like Paul, and those are the people that that God himself is after. Do you value people that you would have a really hard time imagining sitting at your own family party or family table, right? Um, Are your values like God's? Do you share in his love for others in the way that God loves them? Um, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so as we close today, my my prayer and my uh, challenge to all of you is this is that uh, I want to pray that our church should be filled with people, right? I want to pray that we embrace the stewardship that we are called of the gospel to go and take it out into our cities and our streets and our neighborhoods. But I don't want a full building for the sake of numbers or for the sake of having a lot of people here, right? I want to see people changed by knowing the love of Christ. And I want to see that happen through you. Because if you release yourself unto Jesus, she will be blown away by what he can and will do through you. Um, there's a the very last piece here, and Joel's going to read it once again before we close. And this is what Paul says in verse 20, this little doxology thing here. He says this. Now to him. And church, listen. This is, this is you right here. Listen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And his people said, Amen. Thank you.